Hi, this is Ash Roy. Thanks for tuning in to the Productive Insights podcast or the Productive Insights YouTube channel. This is episode 217, which is the first part of a two-part series with my friend and colleague, Adam Franklin, in which Adam shares his five-step framework to use LinkedIn for business growth. I thought this was an absolute masterclass. You can access this first part of the two-part conversation at ProductiveInsights.com forward slash 217. And the second part of this two-part conversation will be published at ProductiveInsights.com forward slash 218. So thanks again for tuning in, and I hope you find it useful. Hey, it's Seth Godin from Akimbo.com, and you're listening to Ash Roy from Productive Insights. Welcome to the Productive Insights Podcast where you can learn how to systemize, automate, and scale your business via the internet. To access previous episodes and useful productivity tips, go to www.productiveinsights.com. Now, here's your host, Ash Roy. Welcome back to the Productive Insights Podcast. This is Ash Roy, the founder of ProductiveInsights.com and the host of the Productive Insights Podcast. Today, we are going to show you how to build long-term relationships with individuals on LinkedIn, mutually beneficial relationships that you can nurture and convert into high-quality and high-value clients. And we're going to discuss some high-level strategies and specific tactics that you can implement right after this episode. To help me today, I'm delighted to welcome Adam Franklin. Adam's a good friend of mine, and he's the author of Web Marketing That Works, an Amazon number one bestseller. He's holding up there, so you might want to check that out. He's a professional speaker, a university lecturer, and CEO of Blue Wire Media which he co-founded in 2005. Accolades include being named Australia's number one business blog, number seven LinkedIn expert in Asia Pacific, and his podcast was number nine on Entrepreneur Magazine's top marketing podcasts. Adam's work has been featured in Forbes, Huffington Post, Entrepreneur, The Australian, and The Sydney Morning Herald, Adam helps consultants win high-value clients via LinkedIn and teaches thousands of students all over the world via his online courses and coaching programs. His weekly Blue Wire News email goes out to over 35,000 professionals worldwide. So I'm delighted to welcome my friend, Adam Franklin, on to the Productive Insights Podcast. Welcome, Adam. Thank you, Ash. It is so wonderful to be here. Thanks for that very kind introduction. And it's so good to finally be doing this this podcast that we spoke about uh, on many occasions and our calendars have aligned. So let's jump straight into it. I'm so glad to have you. I've been hounding you about this for a long time. I, I was worried I was being a bit of a pain by, by asking you over and over again. But man, it's really a pleasure to have you. I remember when we first met, I don't know if you remember this, but you were speaking at an event in, I think it was in the basement in the city. This was years ago. And I went up to you and I bought you a drink and I tried to learn more about what you do. I was at the beginning of my journey and I think you were too. Uh, at that time, you were doing a lot more than LinkedIn. And then I remember once we worked together in Bondi Cafe with Tobes, your co-founder at the time. Wow, how times have changed and we've both come so far over these years. So it's been a pleasure watching you evolve over the years. And I'd love to get you to tell our audience a little bit about your journey and how you ended up becoming a LinkedIn expert. Fantastic. Let's go through all of that. I remember it vividly, Ash. It was actually part of my book launch, as I recall, in 2014 in that event in the basement in the Sydney CBD. Wow. 
And I actually think he might have won my lucky door prize. I, I think I recall you winning a bottle of wine that was from a business card draw, but I could be wrong. But let's go right back to the start. You mentioned that um, Toby was my co-founder when we started. He's been one of my best mates since since um, grade one. We went to primary school and high school and uni together. It's a lovely story. Um, but look, we started a business. It was called Blue Wire Media, and it still is. That was nearly 17 years ago now at the time of recording. But we had always wanted to run a business, and we wanted to run, like we wanted to focus on the business and marketing side of things as opposed to necessarily being a technician in the business. So we were heavily influenced by the likes of the books Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and The E-Myth, and mentors like Mike O'Hagan from Mini Movers. And so what we did is we started a digital agency, even though we were non-technical people, because we wanted to sell, we wanted to do the marketing, and then when we won a client, we wanted a specialist to do the technical work. And so that's how we started. We literally walked around the streets in Brisbane, knocking on doors uh, in the warm Brisbane summer, asking these business owners, do you want a website? <laughs> to which they said, no, thanks, mate. There's the door. <laughs> <laughs> and so we got, pre- we got pretty used to uh, rejection. Uh, we got pretty used to um, walking around in the hot, sweaty sun. But you know what? After a while, we thought, well, how can we actually improve this process? What do we need to be doing differently? And rather than walking around in the sun, we thought, well, there's these magazines in Brisbane called the Brisbane News. And in it, people would advertise. Many of the people advertising didn't have a website URL on their advert. And we thought if they've got enough money to be paying thousands of dollars for an advert, but don't have a website, then they would be hopefully an ideal prospect because one, they could afford a website. And two, they didn't have one yet. And so we changed our focus to cold calling instead of door knocking. (laughs) And we cold called these people out of the Brisbane News and offered them the opportunity to see what a website might look like in terms of like a mock-up if they were prepared to have us in to meet with them. Right. So that's what led to our first clients. We showed them the mock-up and we said, look, we can build this for you if you like. And this is what it's going to cost. And the first client eventually said yes. So we that was when the business started. You know, a couple of weeks of not pounding the pavement, cold calling people. We won our first client. That's an amazing moment when the first client says yes, isn't it? I bet you still oh. remember it. Oh, I totally remember it. We received a check. Um, we, we took a photocopy of it at the time before we banked it. <laughs> it's a beautiful story. We were so proud. Couple of couple of good mates from when you were schoolmates to getting your first check together. Well done. It was really exciting. But we told ourselves at the time, you know, if we can do it once, we can sell things many times over. And that first one was probably the hardest sale and it all yeah. got easier from there. Not to say it's always been easy. There's been challenges, of course. Right. But that, that kicked off the agency. To, then to fast forward, we, we shared everything we had learnt um, in our book, Web Marketing That Works. That came out about eight years after we started the agency. When this book came out, we stopped the agency side of things because we found it much more rewarding and energizing to do the consulting and speaking around Mm -hmm. digital marketing. And that sort of kicked off about 10 years doing um, conference speaking, keynote speeches all around Australia and the world. And then 
I made the decision to focus Blue Wire to become a coaching business. Uh, and that's what I focused on for the last uh, two and a half years. So was the book pretty pivotal to your conversion from what you were doing before to uh, the consulting? Uh, 100%. We, we were doing consulting. A li- we'd started doing consulting when the book came out, but we completely transitioned to doing that exclusively. Quick question about the book thing. A lot of people have told me to write a book, and I'm thinking every man and his dog is writing a book. Would you still recommend writing a book to build authority today? 100%. The reason it feels like every man and his dog has a book is because you interview authority guests on your podcast. Of course, they've got books. <laughs> yeah, and a lot of them tell to- me, a lot of them tell me, why haven't you written a book yet? I'm like, is that really going to make that much of a difference? But okay. It will. I believe it did for me. And I can only speak for myself, but it did for me. And you are, yeah, you're interacting with a very small subset of the business community that, that has a book, hence that on your, your show. Um, but if you talk to, I guess, a, a much wider, a realistic sample size, most people don't have a book. I mean, for me personally, like when the book came out, it meant that the speaking fee doubled. Oh, okay. um, yeah, quite literally is the book because I was an author, conference organizers and speaker bureaus were like, oh, well, that's fair enough to be charging that then. You're an author. And that perception of authority because you are an author is huge. And same well, deal for the consulting and coaching. Three of the most interesting conversations I've had on this podcast were with very prolific authors. Episode 200 was with Seth Godin. He's written a ton of books. Episode 210 was with Guy Kawasaki, and he's written 19, I think. And then episode 215 was with David Meeman Scott, and he's written about 13 or something like that. He's written a bunch of books. Yeah, those three authors are some of the most influential authors in my personal journey. I've learned so much from particularly... David Meeman Scott and Seth Godin, but yeah, yes. Guy Kawasaki as well. Amazing conversations, amazing people. I, I was really honoured to have them on, as I am to have you on. <laughs> Thank so, you. Adam, let's talk about strategy. How does a person who wants to get LinkedIn working for them in a way that is non-spammy and that isn't interrupting people in a way that is rude, how does a person build relationships with their ideal prospects on LinkedIn with a view to eventually converting them into clients and building mutually beneficial relationships. And let's first address the elephant in the room, and that is I don't want to be that annoying spammy guy on LinkedIn. I've been on the receiving end of it. It's hideous. I definitely don't want to do that. That's what I would think 99% of your listeners would be feeling. That's what 99% of my audience feels and it's the most important roadblock to overcome before we can even really open our mind to what a LinkedIn strategy can can do for us. People perceive spam differently. So there's that problem as well. 100%, 100%. And look, there's there's spam by its literal definition and, you know, you're sending something like via email or adding them to your mailing list without their consent and sending them stuff that they haven't opted in for. That's illegal and, and would never recommend that. Um, the, the softer definition of spam is basically anything that they feel is not relevant to them right now. And there's the challenge. How it's, do it's you subjective. know? Exactly. So how do you mm. figure out what is relevant to them before you email them or message them on LinkedIn? And, and look, you can't know for sure for everything. And I give this example in my workshops of if I 
was to receive a message from a fridge repair person, I would ignore that and I would treat that as spam because it's not yeah. relevant to me today. 52, sorry, 51 weeks of the year. Correct. But when my fridge breaks down and all my food's going warm and I need a fridge repair person, when that message comes in that week, it's like, okay, you've read my mind. I need you to come around now. And so you just never quite know exactly when their pain or their aspiration is going to be high enough for them to be ready to take action. And so I believe we need to be showing up on a regular basis from a place of generosity, not a place of of hounding them. And we can talk more about the, the strategies that we employ there. But I also like to draw the comparison to real life. <laughs> like everything we do on LinkedIn should just be a reflection of real life and how we interact with people. Now, you and I have both been to business events and networking events and been in a large room with lots of business owners or professionals or whatever your target market might be. We've all been in that position. And when we've gone into a room like that and we haven't known anybody, most of us are quite comfortable going up to a stranger and introducing themselves and saying, hi, Ash, my name's Adam. It's nice to meet you. That's exactly what we did at um, that event where we first crossed paths. Yep. If you or I were worried, I don't, I'm too afraid to talk to this person in case he thinks that I'm going to sell him something and be spammy, we would never have become connected. We would never have become friends. We'd right. never be doing this interview now. Absolutely. And every friend, every client, every person we know was once a stranger. So if somebody isn't prepared to introduce themselves first, <laughs> it's going to be a very lonely existence. <laughs> no friends, no clients. Yep. And that's not, that's not a world I want to live in personally, <laughs> which then begs the question, well, what do I do? How do I do this in a way that sits comfortably with me and doesn't mm-hmm. rob people the wrong way? <laughs> and the other additional thing with when we do meet someone in real life, very rarely, it's never happened in my experience, but once we have introduced ourselves, I've never come across a situation where that person doesn't know what to say next or we don't know what to say next. We never just go, hi, Ash, it's nice to meet you, and then go quiet and not say anything else (laughs) because (laughs) I'm scared of what you're going to say. I just want to jump in there for a second and tell you, I just remembered in episode 173, I spoke to a guy from Digital Marketer. He doesn't work with them anymore, but he used to be at Digital Marketer and he was a LinkedIn guy. And we talked about the party analogy. If it's not something you would go and say to somebody at a party, it's probably not something you'd want to say to them on LinkedIn, right? So you don't go up to somebody at a party, shake their hand and say, hi, I'm Ash and I've got this membership to sell you, would you be interested in buying it? That's not the first thing you would say. You'd say, hi, Amash, uh, what's your name? Or, you know, what brings you here? Or something like that. Unfortunately, a lot of us are guilty of doing the former thing that I just said rather than the latter. So that's a great analogy. So the party analogy is is exactly right. I mean, you're, you're introducing yourself to strangers. You're not immediately saying, hey, I've got a membership program or a coaching program I I want to sell you. You're having a natural human conversation, but at the same time, you are open to the fact that if they seem like a person that you can help, if the conversation goes down that path, then it's totally okay to say, hey, this sounds like something we could have a more detailed discussion about. 
would you like to swap details? And I will contact you either via email or I'll give you a call when we're, when you're back at the office. That is a natural thing to happen in a party or a social setting. We very rarely sell in the social setting, but very often we, you know, typically in the olden days, it would be exchange business cards or connect on LinkedIn or send them an email there and then saying, it's nice to meet you. Let's line up our calendars and we'll talk more about it later. Yeah. And it's that same approach that I encourage people to apply to LinkedIn. So let's talk a bit about how do you set up your profile so that it showcases your skills in a way that is relevant to your ideal prospect? And then what is that first message you send? If you can tell us what words does one use that that works and that is acceptable, that would be super useful to our listeners and viewers on YouTube. Fantastic. Let's start with the outreach message, since I'm sure that's probably the burning question on a lot of people's minds. Often the, the mistake, I guess, is that people can overthink this initial outreach message. This is just the same as when you meet somebody new at a party. We normally just say, hi, Ash, I'm Adam. It's nice to meet you. Yep. On LinkedIn, I wouldn't normally say, hi, Ash. Like if you're a stranger, I wouldn't say, hi, Ash, I'm Adam. I've been stalking your Instagram, LinkedIn and website for months and I know that you went to school here and you wrote this article there and that's too much and too creepy and too heavy-handed. Um, I say, hi, Ash, I'm Adam, nice to meet you. On LinkedIn, I'd probably say, hi, Ash, I'd like to invite you to connect. Cheers, Adam. I'd like to invite you to my marketing network. Cheers, Adam. I'd like to invite you to my professional network. Cheers, Adam. Something very those, simple. Aren't those messages very pedestrian? Aren't they used very commonly? Yes, they are. And when I've tested these things out, I've tested, you know, doing a bit more research on their profile and saying, hi, Ash, I, I noticed that you interviewed Seth Godin in episode 270. That's really awesome. You know, that will be flattering, of course, and you will probably connect with a lot of people that said that, but you don't need to go to that level of personalization. In fact, okay. it performs better when it's just not totally, it's not totally um, generic because I'm calling you Ash and I'm inviting you either to my marketing network or my consulting network or my Sydney or Australian network. Gotcha. Um, so it's, it's just emulates real life. Like nearly everybody I meet, I say, hello, <laughs> nice to meet you. My name's Adam. Sure. Most people say that and that okay. doesn't make it um, bad because we all say the same thing. So now you've sent that first message and they've accepted. Well, What's... they haven't yet. Oh, right. So, <laughs> I'm <laughs> jumping the gun. Connect. We hope they connect, which brings the question, what can we do to increase our chances of that person accepting our connection request? Yes. And that comes down to our LinkedIn profile, which you, was the second part of the question. Aha, uh -huh. yes. So there are hundreds of millions of people on LinkedIn. Some, have, some are trustworthy, some have high authority, some are random, some are spammy people. There's a whole bunch of people out there and people have to determine in a split second when they're looking at their connection invites, who looks like a nice, reputable, trustworthy, meaningful person and who looks like 99% of people who aren't going to be relevant to me and my business. Right. So we've got to um, convey that quite quickly and we've basically got 
our headshot, our name, our headline, and sometimes our about section to convey that. And so that's why it's so important to have a well-written, well-optimized LinkedIn profile because that's what makes the difference between people going, yep, I'll connect with Ash or I won't. And taking the time to convey what you do and to convey credibility and to make it focused also on you know, your, your client or who you help so that they go, oh, look, Ash helps people just like me. Right. And he's got credibility because he's got his podcast and because he's got his business. Um, so, yeah, there's all these things that we need to try and weave into the couple of hundred characters for our headline because that's that's the difference. That'll make the difference between like a 20%, 10% acceptance rate and a 30 or 40% acceptance rate on the LinkedIn connection requests. 220 characters at the time of recording. Bear in mind that it often does get truncated or shortened depending on what device they're looking at it on. So put okay. your most important stuff at the front. So, yeah, that will hopefully increase the chance of people accepting. And then we've got a first degree contact. Right. That's where most people go, you know what? I don't know what to say next. I'm tongue tied. I completely don't want to spam or annoy this person. So I'm just now not going to say anything for the next <laughs> five or 10 years. For <laughs> <laughs> Five or 10 years. I love it. <laughs> yeah, it's true though, right? There's so many contacts that we've connected with <laughs> and not contacted for 10 years. True. I've got over 3,000 contacts on LinkedIn right now. Yeah. And I don't say much to them. <laughs> and imagine if we'd met in 2014 and said, nice to meet you, Ash. Yeah, you too, Adam. Neither <laughs> of us know what to say and say, let's wait 10 years until we build up the courage <laughs> to say the next thing. We'll be, we'll be having a second sentence exchange in, what are we now, 2021. So another three years time. <laughs> exactly. That's a bit too long between drinks for me. I'd much prefer to <laughs> allow an, allow a relationship to evolve and blossom. But it takes somebody to say the next piece of the conversation. And right. we both acknowledge that most people are too afraid to take that next step. Yeah. Um, but that there's too much value and too much opportunity and, and friendships on the table to neglect that and leave it up to the other person, which is why those with I say the word courage, and I'm not saying it flippantly because most people are afraid to say their first, send the first message and start the conversation, even though it seems so easy when you think about it in real life. For some reason, when we're going through a keyboard and it's a stranger on LinkedIn, we're paralyzed by fear. Um, so the people that do have the courage to make that first, um, start that first conversation, there's lots of reward there for them. Um, so I guess we're probably going to look at what, what should we even say in this first message? There's lots of different approaches here. This is now the second message, right? So this is after the invitation and they've accepted. Yeah. Correct. Yes. Got it. Yep. So okay. I'm going to take talk you through sort of a five, the five-step nurture process. Perfect. And the step, yeah. Step one we've just spoken about, and that is connecting with somebody. Okay. The, the sole objective of that is to get them to accept our connection request. And then once they are a first degree contact, well, that's, that's fantastic because not only can we DM them, direct message them, but they are also going to see or have a chance of seeing our content in their newsfeed. 
So right. we'll talk about content later as to how you can really amplify that authority and being top of mind. The other good thing about being a first degree contact is that more often than not, you will have their email address visible to you through their profile. They've made that available to their first degree contacts. Okay. So we can very easily, and I do recommend this strategy strongly, is to move from a LinkedIn relationship over to an email relationship. Whether you're sending this message via LinkedIn or email, doesn't really matter. I tend to send this initial message on LinkedIn and I transition to email a bit further down the track. But let's look at a few different options that I suggest sending. Stage two, the conversation starter. I categorize it in two sections. One is like dormant first degree contacts. Those are the people that we've not spoken to for five or 10 years, but they've been in our network. In that situation, I literally suggest sending something um, like, Hi, Ash. Um, we've been connected on here for ages, but I've never actually said hello. That's why I'm writing to you today. Right. I'd love to learn a bit more about Productive Insights and mm -hmm. who you serve and when you've got time. As for me, I run a marketing coaching business. Um, let's keep in touch. Okay. So that's nice and soft. So you, you're saying, I'd love to learn more about your company. And by the way, this is what I do. Hmm. But not too much about what you do. It's all about other person, yeah? It's, it's mostly about the other person, but you are putting a bit of meat on the bone. You are putting a bit into the conversation. Like in a real conversation, you both you both contribute a little bit. And, and you are acknowledging like their company name. Like you're not just saying, hey, Ash, tell me about your business. You go, well, mate, you can see my LinkedIn profile. It's all here. Why don't you just click the button and read it if you exactly. want to? Exactly. That's what stops me from often asking them that question. It's got to be framed in a way that is like acknowledging that I have actually looked at your page. That's why I would say congrats on what you've been doing at Productive Insights. I'd love to learn a bit more about your business and who you work with or who you help. Okay, that's you a subtle but important thing that I didn't think about before. So you acknowledge something about their profile and then you say, I would like to learn a little bit more about you. That's a very useful approach because, I mean, most people like talking about themselves. Most people don't like LinkedIn because people are just selling stuff. But mm -hmm. it, it, you can stand out and be part of that 1% or less if you show an interest, a, a sincere interest in them. You'd often just look for something on their site. In your situation, and I didn't know you, I might say, I, congrats on what you've been building at ProductiveInsights.com. Um, I'd love to learn a bit more about your um, podcast and specifically the types of guests that you would love to interview. Maybe. Right. There's an introduction I could make because I've been involved in marketing and I've run my own podcast. Um, would this be of interest? Or let's keep in touch. Trying to frame it in a way where you can add value to them in a appropriate way. This is, this is like for dormant uh, connection as well. So this is somebody who's been in your first degree network for, for years, but you've never really spoken to properly, but you've demonstrated you've done a little bit of research. There's also dormant contacts in our email list who we do actually know quite well, like maybe they've been a client, but 10 yeah. years ago. And these are the people that are the best, what I call the low-hanging fruit, because you mm -hmm. know we've both been in business for quite some time. There are people that we've worked with 10 years ago yep. that we may not have worked with since. So these are a great opportunity to reconnect with. So I would go through, what I do with my clients is get them to go through their, their CRM or their list of um, past proposals people that have either said no or maybe to so the prospects, clients that have said yes, but you know maybe aren't active and write mm -hmm. to them and say, 
hey, Ash, it's been a long time since we've crossed paths. I can't believe it's been 10 years since we did that project together in the basement in the CBD. What's been going on with you? As for me, my focus these days is on LinkedIn. Okay. So there's a high degree of trust already. They know, like, and trust you because they've worked with you in the past. Their situation might have changed. In fact, they might even be in a new company. Right. Started a new company. And my focus has changed. So we're reconnecting. And often in those situations, people will say, oh, you know what? I was just thinking about LinkedIn or just thinking about you. And you've shown up in my inbox. LinkedIn right. is something that we need to focus on. So when we're talking about there's, there's dormant contacts who we have never contacted, and then there's dormant contacts who we actually know quite well. So clients and prospects who we might have worked with 10 years ago or who we might have um, presented a proposal to 10 years ago, but they said no or maybe. So these are people that actually do know, like, and trust you to some degree. Mm-hmm. So these are what I call the, lo- the low-hanging fruit. And this is often where you'll get your quickest wins is mm-hmm. by getting a list of either from your CRM or wherever you've been tracking it in a spreadsheet or a notepad of all the past clients over the last 10 years, all the past prospects of people that have said no or maybe, looking them up on LinkedIn, finding out either are they already in my network, probably, and then messaging them and saying, Ash, I can't believe it's been 10 years since we did that project together in the basement at that event that we did and um, where we met. How's everything been going for you? I see you've been doing productive insights in the podcast. Um, as for me, I've been focusing on LinkedIn. Right. Um, it's good to reconnect. A really useful tool. I want to jump in there and add. Mm. Actually, two useful tools. The best CRM I've come across so far is HubSpot, and it's free. Full disclosure, I am a HubSpot Solutions certified partner. If you want to know about the paid products, talk to me. But the free version is brilliant. And the other tool I wanted to mention was Text Expander. So Text Expander is essentially a tool where you can create your own shortcuts. So I might have, for example, XLN, which is short for X LinkedIn. And I use X as the first letter because it's not a very common beginning of any word. And it's a keyboard shortcut, basically. And that expands into a whole message where I can actually fill in a form. So it's got a form filling function. So it actually brings up this form on my screen, which I can just plug in the name Adam. I can plug in the company name and the rest of it is all automated. So it might say, hey, Adam, I just had a look at your profile. I noticed that you're working in Blue Wire Media these days. As for me, I'm working on the Productive Insights podcast. I'd love to know a little bit more about what you're doing or something along those lines. But basically, you can templatize every one of your messages. And HubSpot also has template functionality in their outreach messages, but that's not within the LinkedIn platform. That's on HubSpot. But Text Expander works across all platforms and it works on PCs and on Macs. Brilliant tip. I, I love Text Expander or the equivalent. I use keyboard shortcuts. And your Perfect. tip of putting, putting the X at the start is so good because at the moment, mine are, if it's LinkedIn messages, I've got L1, L2, L3, L4, L5 for the different frameworks for this nurture system. Yes. On Facebook, I've got F1, F2, F3 if they join my Facebook Brilliant. group. Except the thing is sometimes, and Q1, Q2, Q3 for questions I ask and you know, yeah. if I'm having conversations, but often it, I don't know, it must be, 
F1 or like there's some that or V1 particularly. I need to change V1 because I'm often doing it. version one of something and it just pre-populates yeah. with version one of my questions. Uh, so I'll put the X in front. I'll tell you why I don't use that nomenclature is because Text Expander syncs across your Mac and your iPhone and your iPad and all your devices. And if I use letters and numbers, it means I have to change my screens on the iPhone because the number screen, the number keypad is on a different thing to the text. So it's a lot more efficient to have it all as letters. And using X is a great prefix. And then you can... I have my own thing in my head where I might put in the name of the product and then the name of something else. And I have my own structure of creating these shortcuts. You can also search in Text Expander based on keyword and stuff. So it's super useful. Textexpander.com. Great. And you make a good point too. Like you have templates saved. And like I know a lot of people are sometimes a bit resistant to why would I send out a canned response to everybody? And I, I don't want to be sending canned responses because it's impersonal and it's this and that and I hate receiving them. But the thing is most of these frameworks are 80 or 90% the same, but you change the part that makes it personal. So I could send that framework to 100 people, but for you I would say, hi, Ash, I see, congrats on what you've been doing at Productive Insights. I can't believe it's been 10 years since we crossed paths yeah, that Sydney event, that's yes. the framework. 90% of it's the same. But for each person, it's personalized with something that pretty much only you and I would know, like where we first exactly. met. And that's where Text Expander is incredible because of its form-filling yes. ca- capability. 100%. And so you don't need to reinvent the wheel each time because you've got these script frameworks. Yeah, you literally just pop in the name, the first name, the company name, and it just does the rest for you. That's perfect. And then you can, you can run your eye over it, make sure that it all makes sense, which it would. But that's yeah. the thing with like having a script framework is that there's a structure to it. It's deliberate, yet it's still personalized. So okay. I think that's the, the balance we want to get. It's something that's 80 to 90% the same. And that's just a starting point. Like the conversation can then go up into all these different tangents, right? Right. Um, I'm not saying every message needs to come directly off the, out of the script library. These are just um, for the different stages. Hey there. I hope you found that conversation useful. The second part of this conversation will be published at ProductiveInsights.com forward slash 218, where we'll be continuing the discussion around how to use LinkedIn to grow your business using Adam Franklin's five-step framework. Thanks, and I'll talk to you soon.